Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We have been going through some parables over the last uh, few weeks of January. This is the last one today. Then next week, we're going to start a series on the book of Revelation. Okay, did you know today, as we think about uh, this uh, last parable now, did you know today that uh, the world will spend more than $200 million on video games, just today only? Uh, Would you believe that today the world will spend more than $3 billion on military purposes? Just one day, $3 billion. Uh, So far this year, so really just for the month of January we're talking about, Uh, Around the world, more than 6 million cars have been produced for sale or for purchase. Today, only, around the world has seen more than 4 million mobile phones purchased today, plus the next day, the next day and the next day. If you think about all those things, that's a lot of money required to actually go and actually purchase those things. Uh, The world is awash with money. Actually, every single person sitting in this building today here in Australia, when compared with the standards of the world around about us, you are considered rich. You are considered rich as we think about the world that we live in and the standards around us. Uh, Jesus today, in this parable here we're going to go to, wants to talk about money today, wants to talk about money with us. So in your Bibles, please go to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read there from verses 1 through to 15. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. 
And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Lord, thank you today that we can come and open up your word. We ask and pray that, Holy Spirit, you would uh, bless and stir our hearts, awaken our hearts here as we think about money, as we think about the absolute pull and attraction it has in our hearts. Help us today to be freed of that and to be sacrificially generous, Lord, to grow the gospel in our hearts and in this community where we live. We ask for your help now, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've read this parable before. Hopefully you have read this parable before. It can be a bit confusing when you read this one. It's probably one of Jesus' more difficult parables when you read through this. You sort of think, uh, what are you doing here, Jesus? There's some real difficulties in that. Uh, We will deal with that in a moment. The main thrust, though, of here where Jesus is going in this parable is to deal with money. It's not unusual for Jesus to talk about money. Uh, He taught much about money, warning us of the dangers of how our hearts can so easily be attached or attracted to this thing called money. Uh, Here's our big idea as we shape where we're going to go today, and it's this. Uh, We must let the gospel transform our hearts so that we use the money God has given to us to prepare for ourselves a rich welcome in heaven. We must let the gospel transform our hearts so that we use the money God has given us to prepare for ourselves a rich welcome in heaven. It's the money talk, isn't it? It's the money talk. It's actually Jesus talking about money, not me talking about money. Bit of context first. Uh, Jesus is in a solid block of teaching here in the book of Luke, chapters 14 to 17. If you've got a red letter edition of your Bible, you'll see there's lots of red ink through chapters 14 to 17. There's a lot of full-on teaching here with Jesus over a whole range of issues at this particular time. There's also a range of parables across these three chapters as well, including the very famous parable, the prodigal son in Luke 15, just before this one. But Luke 16, where we find ourselves, has a lot to say about money with this parable. Already at the start, and then also the rich man and Lazarus at the end, also again talking about a rich man in the sense of riches there as well. It's quite obvious that our hearts and money isn't just a 21st century problem only. It's also an issue for the people of Jesus' day as well. Actually, money ever since it's been in our world has always been an issue, particularly with our hearts. And in this context as well, you'll see the priests there, they also were enamoured or they were in love with money and with the power and the prestige that had brought them with this uh, wealth and riches that they had. Okay, let's jump in as we sort of think about that context there of what Jesus is doing, just in a solid block of teaching, teaching and training his disciples how to be transformed by the gospel and to grow in this world to bring glory to him. Firstly, let's retell the parable here and identify some of the difficulties that we find as we read through this. What do we see as we see this story, this parable that Jesus tells us? There's a guy who's who's been hired as the manager of a very large and successful business. Now, the owner here, he just wants to sit back and sort of take it easy. So he brings on board this guy, you come and manage my business for me and do all those things and I'll just sort of sit back in the background. Well, a little while down the track, the manager, the owner does sort of get back involved in the business and he hears that the manager he's put on is a rogue. What's he doing? He's wasting or squandering here the owner's money through this business. 
So what does the owner do as a responsible person trying to make sure this is okay? He, ca- he calls in the manager and asks for a full accounting of all the expenditure that he's been doing over the past months or maybe years before he's given the sack for his dishonesty in the way he's been dealing with finances. Well, the hired manager goes into a tailspin. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm too soft to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. I'm about to lose my job. How will I make ends meet? He goes into a tailspin. But then he gets an aha moment and he hatches this devious plan. He goes to some of the owner's creditors and then gives them a large discount on their bills. How much do you owe? 100, make it 50. How much do you owe? 80, make it 60. Just like that. And the creditors there, they think he's a wonderful guy and giving them such a large discount. They thought they had to pay 100, but now they have to pay half. They think he's wonderful. And the whole plan here for this dishonest manager is that he's looking to the future on how he can provide for himself after he's lost his job. Thinking these discounted creditors will say, you're a great bloke, come and do some stuff for us. We'll look after you. That's the parable there. And one of the tricky parts in this parable, if you've read through it before, is verse 8. It's a bit confusing there where we're thinking... Is Jesus the master in this story? Is is this Jesus sort of speaking here? Or is this master the owner that is speaking out? Because verse 8 is a bit of a confusing verse. Because either way, we find verse 8 confusing for us. It appears like they're congratulating here this dishonest manager for carrying out further dishonesty, doesn't it? They're commending him. When you first read they think, that doesn't appear right. looks like they're actually congratulating him for what he's done, for carrying out such a devious plan. Let's think through this, though, and ask ourselves, what really is being commended here? Verse 8 says at the start, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for his shrewdness. Even though it appears like they're commending him for this devious plan, they're not. What they're commending him for is his foresight and planning for the future after he's lost his job. Albeit a devious plan, but he's put a plan in place that'll see his needs to be taken care of after he's lost his employment. What's he doing? He showed shrewdness there or wisdom, as I said, albeit devious and dishonest, but at least he's wise enough to plan for the future. In other words, you could say, you're very dishonest, but you're a smart cookie at the same time. That's what they're really saying to him. You're dishonest, but you're a smart cookie. You're actually looking after yourself for the future. And then the last part of verse 8, tells uh, Jesus helps us to see where he's going with this. And the verse 8 again says this, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then it says, where maybe it's a crossover here where Jesus is speaking about the parable. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. For the people of this world, living for the here and now, living for the right now, show more wisdom in their thinking and planning than do the people of God. 
Now, just in case you didn't feel it then, Jesus just gave us all a jab in the ribs. You may not have felt it, but that's what Jesus just did. He actually just gave us a jab in the ribs. Jesus just gave us a wake-up call, a wake-up call about our thinking and our planning for the future. In the following verse, Jesus actually comes to the big point of what he's talking about here. And he's teaching here, what you do with the money you have now, given to you by God, has eternal consequences or results for you. Have a look in verse 9. He says this, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus says, I tell you, listen to what I'm saying here, Jesus says. This is the point of the parable here that Jesus is saying. I tell you, how you use your unrighteous wealth, now you might be thinking, what does Jesus mean by unrighteous wealth? Is he talking about dirty money? Is he talking about stolen goods? Is he talking about something that I've somehow illegally got? No, he's talking about this wealth or riches we have, which isn't a spiritual riches or a spiritual wealth. It's an unrighteous wealth. It's really our everyday riches or money or possessions that we have. But let's think about money here that he's referring to. Jesus is saying, by the use of your money, now while on this earth, you can prepare for yourself a precious welcome into eternity or heaven when your life is over by how you use that money or wealth now. Money. Money. It's got a powerful attraction, hasn't it? A very powerful attraction. I'm sure most of you have been watching a bit of the tennis over the last couple of weeks, like I have too, and I've seen this ad continually on there, which is for a new movie, a new streaming movie called Gold. Has anybody seen that sort of come across in the tennis? Yep, Louis has. Well done, Louis. It's the story of two men who stumble across the the largest gold nugget ever in the outback. So what they've discovered in this gold nugget is untold wealth and riches. But then greed. Greed and desperation begins to erupt in the hearts of these guys as they protect their discovery. They'll do anything go through anything to have and to keep this gold. That's what the story of this movie Gold's all about. Just a reflection of how easily our hearts get attracted to money. Money becomes this object that we begin to build our security in life over. I don't feel comfortable or I don't feel secure unless I have this much money in my bank account. If it's only that much, I feel very insecure. We can begin to build our security in money. Or money is the pathway to all of my heart's dreams of joy and pleasure and happiness and entertainment. Money is the vehicle that actually launches me into that. So then I'd be truly living the dream. Because if I had all the money I could get, that I could go anywhere or do anything or buy everything I ever wanted, then I'd be living that dream. Money becomes the pathway for that in our lives. We can easily get drawn to it in that way. Or it's the allurement of a bigger, bigger or fancier home. Or it's a shiny new four-wheel drive. Or it's that latest tech gadget. 
or it's that dream holiday, or it's that whatever that money can purchase for me. Our hearts get drawn to this and it takes hold of us. And when our hearts get drawn in such a way, particularly even to money, we'll do anything we can to get our hands on it. I've read a number of stories where adult uh, sons and daughters have killed their parents to gain the family inheritance. They just wanted money so badly that they were willing to kill their mother and father to get hold of that inheritance. Incredible lengths that we'll go to when our heart gets attached to that. Now, let's just stop here for a second and make it really clear that money isn't the issue or the evil thing here that we're talking about. Money in itself is neutral. It's not evil. It's not the issue. It's our corrupted hearts that actually take money and uses it to uh, uh, grab whatever we can find our um, hearts attracted to. Money becomes this tool that we use. So it's not the evil thing itself. It's the tool that we begin to use. And Jesus himself sees it as a hard issue. Look in verse 13 as he sees that same thing. He says in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a hard issue. With your heart, you cannot serve God and call God Lord and money at the same time. Your heart cannot do that. You can't say that Jesus is Lord and at the same time allow your heart to run after a whole stack of other things, including money, and serve them both. Jesus says that won't happen. And as Esther read for us before in Matthew 6.21, it says there, For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. It's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. What are some potential tests then for a corrupted heart? with money or just wanting stuff, possessions to fill our lives with. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's the continual fretting over the bank account. Never enough. Always feeling insecure. Continually checking to see what's happening this week. What bills are coming in? What money's going out? Continual fretting over what have I got there? That's probably a distorted view of money. Continual planning of the very next purchase thinking if I just get that thing, I'll be happy. Maybe it's just one more pair of shoes. I don't know what it might be for you or for me. But it's that continual thinking and planning, what else can I buy? What else can I, what else can I put into my life that I think will completely and satisfy, make me happy? If I'm continually thinking and planning down that pathway, quite possibly money's got a, a too strong a hold on my heart. Or... If I have difficulty in being generous towards others, I've worked hard for this. I've put blood, sweat and tears into this money. I'm not going to give it away that easily. If we find it hard to be generous towards others and find it easy to spend on ourselves, probably a solid indication that money's got a very strong grip in our heart. I've heard it said before, and I'm sure it's quite true, that if I could see your bank statement or your credit card statement, and what we spend our money on, I could probably work out what are the treasures and pleasures of your life. I'm not going to do that, of course, and you're not going to see mine either. But it probably tells a very telling story. Where are we spending our money? What is our money devoted to? What are the treasures and the pleasures 
of our heart in our life. You see, this is what Jesus is doing here in Luke 16. He's come to set us free from the idol of money, setting it up as something we want to bow down to and serve because we think that is where life is found. He wants to set us free so we no longer serve it because making money as a God in my life, small g God, is a really cruel taskmaster at the end of the day. Promises much, delivers little. We did the generosity project about this time last year and there's a wealthy property investor and he had this to say about himself. We'll just put these quotes up there for you now. He says this, My success changed me as a person very, very radically. I became ruthless. I became arrogant. And friendships didn't really matter anymore. So, there were a lot of friendships that I had, but money changed me so much that money was more important than people, and so people got sidelined and the draw of money just kept on, kept on luring me to make more money. Was I happy? No. I liken it to the idea of going up to the top of the mountain. And what do you expect to see at the top of a mountain? You expect to see some beautiful scenery, a sense of, I have arrived. A sense of satisfaction, contentment, but it was never there. We got to the top of a mountain after doing one deal and we were never happy. And so essentially I would try and do another deal to get happier. But money just didn't bring me any joy whatsoever. Uh, This guy owned 900 apartments across England in 2008, just before the GFC hit at that particular time. But he just gave an insight, money is a cruel taskmaster, destroying friendships. You see, Jesus, through his death on the cross, sets us free from living for this idol. He sets us free to know true freedom and ultimately true generosity in him as he sets us free from this uh, cruel taskmaster. The gospel sets us free from the love of money and then to love Jesus supremely as our treasure and then Jesus enables us to use the money that he's given to us for his glory and for his praise and it's when we've actually seen this unbelievable generosity of Jesus in the giving of his life to rescue us on that cross pouring out his blood leaving the realms of glory and of heaven to come and to make himself a man to humble himself into a man when we see the generosity of what Christ has done in giving himself to us We then want to see others come to know that same Christ as we see the glorious generosity shown us. We want to use our possessions and whatever God has given to us to show that to others. Look at what Jesus says here about this faithfulness about using his possessions in that particular way. Look in verse 10, back in Luke 16. Uh, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If we are faithful with a little, Jesus says, we can also be entrusted to be faithful with much. Or conversely, if we are dishonest with little, we'll also be dishonest with much. Verse 11 and 12 basically says the same thing. If you've been unfaithful with the wealth of this world, how can you be trusted with the riches of the next world? I'm paraphrasing a bit there. Or verse 12... If we've been unfaithful with what, God, with what is God's in this world, what he's given to us, how could we ever be faithful, what could be truly ours, in the next world? How can we use uh, what we've got now 
to show that we're faithful so that we can be entrusted with what he can truly give us in the next world. Now, don't get me wrong here when I, when I say this. Jesus isn't saying that if you handle your money in such a generous way now that you'll somehow earn salvation by these good deeds, by this generous giving, by this generous liberality of what God's given to you. Somehow by doing that, that I'll earn salvation. Jesus is not saying that at all. The point is this. If you are faithful and generous with what God has given to you now, if you are faithful and generous with that money and possessions... It's a solid indication that God reigns in your heart. If you're faithful, what God gives to you now. That is so true. That is so, so true. An indication of just how far the gospel has penetrated your heart is reflected in how we use our money for gospel purposes. How deep has the gospel gone? A great indication is how far are we generous with what he's given to us? Do we really treasure Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? Is that really true about us? Well then, does the way you use the resources that God has given to you show that you are doing all you can to grow and extend his kingdom? Is he your true treasure? Then with your finances and possessions and money, are you using that to show that treasure and extend that treasure around about us? It's a perspective thing as well. It's a perspective thing. You see, the, dis- the dishonest manager in the parable here purely had a short-term perspective. Short-term perspective. He was deviously planning for the here and now. All he was thinking about was, what am I going to do next week? How am I going to get myself at a spot for next week? But notice what Jesus says here in verse 9. He uses the words there right towards the end of the verse, eternal dwellings. He's giving us another perspective here to see this. He wants us to pick up on the bigger picture. In a sense, yes, thinking about the here and now, but not confining our thinking only to the here and now. Also getting to see the big picture of eternity. He wants us to use our money and possessions with an eternal perspective. Big picture, not small picture. You might be sitting here right now thinking, that's not me. Jesus is talking about here, rich people. I'm not rich. It doesn't include me. Well, you need to think again, as I said at the start of the introduction. If you're living in a Western culture, you are considered probably in the top 15 or 20% of the richest people in the world by the world standards. Sure, we're not as rich as the top 1% or the top 5%, but we've all got something. We've all got something in this world. So don't exclude yourself there. I'm not, none of us are excluded here. So I guess the question is now, how should we use these resources that God has given us? How do we, as Jesus says, prepare for ourselves a glorious welcome into eternity with the resources he's given to us? Because this is what he's teaching here through this parable. How to use money wisely to prepare for ourselves an eternal welcome uh, into glory. Well, simply Jesus wants us with sacrificial, generous hearts that we seek to make Jesus look like our treasure. The, the way we use our finances, by the way we use our money, that somehow that reflects that Jesus is the supreme treasure of our life. Now, in God's purposes and plans, in his growing his kingdom in this world, he's determined that through our giving, through the way we handle money, 
he'll grow and expand his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying it's only dependent on money because we certainly believe the kingdom grows and expands by God's word and God's spirit working together. But God's also determined that through our finances, he also grows and expands his kingdom. It's a way for us to glorify God through what he's given us. So here's what our giving should look like if it's going to be shaped by the gospel, if the gospel is going to go deep into our hearts. Firstly, we are called to meet our current needs. We must use our money to provide food, clothing and shelter adequately, probably could not use a quotation marks around the word adequately, adequately for our lives. If in a family, we also do the same. We meet the needs of our family in that way as well. God expects us to use what we've been given to meet food, clothing, shelter, the very basics, the things we need, education, all sorts of things. Now, as I said there, the word adequately, in quotation marks, you might ask, what does adequately mean? It's a subjective word, not an objective word. It's not sort of measurable, the word adequately. I'll let you work that out with heartfelt prayer and reflection. But here's a little help for that word adequately. Try and live with a view of moderation with your expenditure. Not lavishness or extravagance, but moderation with the view of your expenditure. You can work out the rest through prayer and honest reflection before the Lord. Then, with what's available after you meet the needs of yourself and of your family, if you've got a family, we then, with sacrificial generosity, give so that the gospel can grow. Here's a way of preparing a precious welcome into eternity. It starts with generous gospel giving. And it starts with a local church. It starts with the local church. It starts with the local body that you are connected to, that you are committed to. You see, think about this. How can we expect the gospel to grow locally if we're using the money left over after all of our needs are met, if we're using that to center it to support a whole range of other ministries first before we support the local body, the local church that God has placed? How can we expect that to happen? How can we expect that to see other people come to Christ if we're feeding all sorts of other ministries and not the local ministry? Now you might be saying, Todd, you're speaking with a vested interest here. No, no, I'm not. The local church is the New Testament way of growing disciples in Christ. Sure, I'm employed by the church, but I'm convinced by the New Testament it is God's way. It is God's platform. It is God's way of actually growing the church and growing the kingdom through the local church. If there's one thing that's been put under pressure, perhaps through the last few years with the rise of the internet, is access to all these other ministries, and they are great at giving us big calls on supporting them, but they're not the local church. They're not the local body. I'm not saying rule them out. I'm saying first, it's got to be the local church. It's got to be the local body you're committed to. Because it's here where we live and we want to see maximum gospel input with the gospel. So the people that we share this community with, they can come and find this glorious king who's rescued and saved us. We want to expand that and make that possible. Now, 
As we shared today, we have a first order need at the moment here in this local church, in Exchange Church, a first order need. We need a place that we can call home for gospel ministry. I mean, this sort of transient living we've experienced over the last few months, particularly and over the last couple of years, it's no fun. It's really destabilizing. It's, it's challenging in so many ways. So that's why we launched uh, back in August of last year our Gospel Ministry Centre Fund. Because uh, we're convinced that this is the next step that God's planned for us here in this church is the plans to see a gospel ministry centre here in our local area to grow people in the gospel. It's a building that we want to put up for connecting people to Jesus and to grow people in Christ. It's for gospel growth in the lives of men, women and children to see them have strong, healthy, uh, flourishing lives in Christ to con- who are able to face whatever challenges that might come their way in this world. It's a first order need and we're convinced this is where God wants us to go. So Jesus is calling us today to use the resources he's given us for gospel purposes. He's telling us that if we do so, that we'll prepare a glorious welcome into eternity if we do that. What do we think that glorious welcome will look like? What comes to mind when you think, oh, I wonder what that glorious welcome will be? Does it mean untold riches and wealth in heaven from some massive bank account that the moment I step over the realms of glory that I'll see this seven-figure sum in my bank account in glory? Do you think that's what Jesus means there? I don't think he means that. I think a seven-figure sum in the in bank account is probably too shallow a welcome. It's too small a welcome in the sense of coming to glory. I think the welcome that Jesus has in mind for us is a welcome of unbridled joy. A welcome of unbridled joy in Christ. The New Testament is filled with Jesus talking about the joy that he's prepared for us. Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable here of the talents and he tells these people who faithfully use their talents for his glory, he gives them this response in Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, after returning back the talents, well done, good and faithful servant. You could actually think those talents are using the resources and money for God's kingdom and growing that. He says, you've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Just look at these next words. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. thoroughly convinced that through sacrificial generous giving towards the gospel while here on earth will somehow contribute to a wealth, a wealth of Christ centred joy in eternity. That as we liberally give with whatever we have, whether it's small or little or much, that the Holy Spirit will somehow increase our joy in the presence of Christ by what we've done here with the possessions and finances that he's given to us. And that's not to mention the joy that you actually get now in giving as well. Let me not discount that. There is a joy in giving here and now. And you see, this is our prayer here at Exchange Church. We want to see the gospel go deep deep into our lives here to become a people who are known for our sacrificial generous giving to see Jesus truly shown to be that all-surpassing treasure that he is and through that we want all people to experience 
the joy that the Spirit births in our heart as we're freed from serving money and free to use money to see it sacrificially grow the gospel. That's the call that Jesus places on us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that you've uh, given us your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this word today. Thank you, Lord, that Luke, Dr. Luke, Luke the physician who's gone around recording these various things, he hears this parable that Jesus has told and he writes this down for us today under the inspiration of your spirit so that we now can be transformed by the way we use money. Lord, I pray, please set us free. Set us free from probably one of the biggest challenges of Western culture. Lord, the challenge of wealth. Lord, it really takes a miracle of grace working in our hearts to see a glorious picture of Christ so that we are set free from wealth and then you able to use that now to grow and extend your kingdom. Do a work in my heart, I pray, Holy Spirit. Grow generosity deeper and deeper within me. Do it for all those who are in front of me, I pray. God, that we would reap that joy now, but also reap that glorious joy that awaits us in eternity as we use what you've given to us now to bring glory and honour to your name. Father, we ask for your help and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.